the authority of God's word. Let me ask a question. If we are to be a faithful church, what is our relationship to God's word? If we are to be a faithful people, what is our relationship to God's word? You see, we're living in a time of great crisis to that question. Paul charges Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. And he's told that a time is coming when they will, people will no longer endure sound doctrine. He says that the time is coming when people will gather to hear men who will preach their own philosophies and passions. Men who will tickle their ears. Men who will tell them what they want to hear. So how does one remain faithful? How does a church, how will TRBC remain faithful? We find ourselves in such a time. We live in a time when people no longer endure sound teaching. And so how does one remain faithful? There are many people who measure success of the church by pragmatic standard. Namely, how many people show up to hear you? How large is your church? That's the question most pastors ask their fellow pastors. What is the size of your church? How many people are there? I must say, there's a legitimate way to grow the church by preaching the gospel. But the measure of success is faithfulness. It's faithfulness to the chief shepherd. And that is our goal. And so what is our task as it relates to the word of God entrusted to us? If we have to be a faithful church, what should be our relationship to the word of God? What we have today, brethren, is a crisis of authority. A crisis of authority. The relationship that people have to the word of God is no longer what it ought to be. It's no longer a relationship of authority. We need to realize that the word of God is authoritative in the preaching, in the reading, in the hearing when it is faithfully and accurately exposited. As the word of God is preached, do you seek to practice it? As the word of God is insisted upon you, do you seek to appropriate those instructions in your life? If we have to be a faithful church, we have to keep in mind what is preached from the pulpit and whether that translates into our daily life. If we have to be faithful Christians, we must be submissive people. Submission to the word of God. Submission to the authority of God's word. We love the church and we have this tremendous burden for the church. And this is the place where God has placed you to serve other saints and to be served. And one day we will give an account 
of what has happened while we were together. And so we have to get everything right. We have to honor Christ. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Sadly, we really live in a, re- in a time when human reason and cleverness has been elevated to a point of supreme authority. You see, whatever sphere of life, it is abundantly clear to us that people take human reason, human experience, human autonomy, and elevate that to a place of supreme authority. We have dismissed God. Many people have privatized religion. Religion has been a matter of personal preference. So that people say, I have the right to raise my kids the way I want. I have the right to do what I want to do. And that reflects the idea that I am my own authority. We have rejected objective truth for personalized truth. And the mantra for today, for most people, is that what is true for you is not true for me. You see, that's a meaningless statement. Because truth by its nature is objective. The moment you personalize it, it's no longer called truth. Subjective truth gives way to personal preferences. So when you say we are independent, we mean that we are a law unto ourselves. We are rulers unto ourselves. I make my own rules. I live according to my own authority. And so I determine what is right and wrong. I determine what is true and false. I determine who God is. I determine who self is. An independent man, an autonomous man, is a law to himself. He's putting self in a place where he's the arbitrator of truth. He decides who God is and he decides who self is. As we look at the authority of God's word, Wayne Grudem defines authority of God's word as, in quote, all the words in scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. He says that every word in scripture as we've seen in the morning is God's word. To disbelieve or disobey it is to disbelieve or disobey God. And so brethren, the authority of scripture is something that we need to affirm. We need to have the authority of scripture in our churches because the spirit of the age has captured the church. The average church goer will say, don't tell me what to do. Authoritative preaching is frowned upon. Average church goer wants hints, wants helpful ideas, wants to be motivated, but they do not want to hear, that says the Lord. The spirit of the age and the spirit of autonomy permeates the church just as the world. And people want to worship God the way they want to worship God. And so we must affirm the authority of God's word. There must be biblical confidence 
in the divine authority of God's word. If we have to believe anything about the word of God, we must believe that it is authoritative. It's the very voice of the living and true God. That just doesn't mean divine suggestion, but gives, but also mean authoritative voice of the true and living God. These are not opinions. These are not philosophies. This is the voice of the true and living God. And you and I are under obligation to submit to all things written in scripture. So if God's word is God's word, it is infallible, meaning it is true. It has no error. It has no error because God is true and he cannot lie. When we come to the authority, we reason the very same way. The authority in the Bible is based on the character of God and his sovereignty. If the Bible, if you believe that the Bible is God's word, it is authoritative because God himself is the source of all authority. God is the ultimate authority and he is his own authority. Stop and consider when we use the word authority, what are we saying? Authority is more than guidance. Authority is to claim that I have the right to claim obedience and obligation. So that when parents so sorry, so that parents have inherent authority over their children. Parents by virtue of who they are have an inherent right to expect their children to obey and have the obligation to obey. When we say authority, we are saying you have the inherent right to require people to obey you. You see, God is the ultimate authority. And there is no other authority except God. God is the ultimate, the final authority. And is the source of all authority here on earth. All other, all other authority here on earth is derivative authority. For instance, the authority of parents over their children is derived from, from society or common sense. No, it is derived from God. The authority of government in Romans 13 verse 1, that authority comes from God. God is the ultimate authority. He's the source of all authority. And God himself is his own authority. So what authority will be higher than God? What authority does God submit to? What authority can challenge God? We have the civil authority in our case. We have the domestic authority. We have the church authority. We even have self-authority. That is conscience. So when a traffic officer flags you on the road, you have the right to stop. Those who serve in the ministry have authority derived from God. Husbands have domestic authority. It comes from God. All authority is nothing less than the authority from God. All the spheres of authority goes back to God. 
and what authority is God under? What if God doesn't pay taxes? He doesn't owe any taxes. God is his own authority because there is no authority higher than him. So that in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself. God cannot swear to anyone higher than him. He is law unto himself. The Bible makes that very clear. In Psalm 115 verse 3, the Bible says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. See, brethren, if that is not being his own authority, I don't know what that is. Psalm 103 verse 19. Psalm 103 verse 19, the Bible says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. When you talk about God's authority, we are talking about his prerogative as the authority over all the universe. You have to understand that you may have authority, but you may not have the power to do something. But when you have the authority and the power, that makes you sovereign. And you see all through scripture, Jesus says in Matthew 28 verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Over and over again, you see the Father and the Son in the position of supreme authority. It should not be hard for us to see that the authority of the Bible is the direct result of the Bible being breathed out by God. See, the Bible, there are characteristics of God that are directly reflected in his word. For example, God is all-powerful. His word is powerful. God is majestic. His word is majestic. God is holy. His word is holy. So if God is in his person inherently the source of all authority, when God speaks by necessity, he must speak authoritatively. The Bible, because it is God-breathed, comes to us as the authoritative word of God. God's word carries God's voice and it is authoritative because it is God himself so that we cannot make a distinction between God the person and his word. There are people who have tried to distinguish between the nature of God and the nature of his word. And that cannot convey any kind of difference. To disregard the words of your parents is to disregard your parents. Same way you cannot make a distinction between the word of God and God himself. God's voice and God's word carry the same authority as God himself. If a child disobey their parent, they cannot say that they love their parent, but they did not take their instruction seriously. See, it doesn't work that way. To disobey the words of your parents is to disobey your parent. To obey their words is to obey them. 
Isaiah 40 verse 5, Bible says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The idea here is that the very authority of God is conveyed through his voice. God has spoken, and that settles the issue. If it's a promise, it will be done. If it's a command, it demands obedience. Scripture comes to us, and it's the law of the Lord. Psalm 119 makes very, uses various words to describe the word of God. It's the precept of the Lord. It's the ordinance of the Lord. It's the command of the Lord. It's the will of the Lord. And because it is authoritative, it bears the authority of God himself. The word of God is the very standard by which you judge every other word. Paul the Apostle could tell the Thessalonians that when they received the word of God, which they had from them, which they accepted, it was the word not of men, it is the, really the word of God. And he says, it is at work in you. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 the word of God has the inherent authority of God. So when you become, when you became a Christian, did anyone tell you that you have to obey this book? What happened when you became a Christian? You just knew that I should submit to this word. The authority of God's word is in what it is and in what it does. So that in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, and that's important, the word of God is in what it is and in what it does. In Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, the Bible says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be completed, may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, the authority of God's word comes first by what? Realizing what it is. What is it? It is breathed out by God and then realizing what it does. What does it do? It teaches, it reproves, it is profitable for all these things, correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. In Psalm 19 verse 7 the psalmist says what the word of God is and what the word of God does. Psalm 19 verse 7 he says the law of the Lord is perfect. That's what the word of God is. And then what does it do? Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So you have the balance of what the word of God is and what the word of God does. When you understand that this is God's breathed word, and you understand what the word of God does, then the inevitable conclusion is that this is the authoritative word of the living God. It is self-attesting in, in its nature. So how do you know that the Bible 
is the authoritative word of God. You don't believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God because the church said so, or because the pastor said so, or because it's our tradition. The declaration by the church or anyone to declare that the word of God is authoritative because they said so is to claim that they have a higher authority than the word of God itself. You see, the authority of scripture comes from God alone. It is self-authenticating. You see, the reformers answered the question, how do you know that the Bible is the authoritative word of God? By saying that the Bible itself is self-attesting. It is self-authenticating. Calvin says in his institutes in chapter 7 that you do not need light. So, sorry. He says, no one needs to convince you that the light that you see right now comes from the sun. It is self-evident. It is self-attested. It is self-authenticating. So that when you go outside at night and it's very dark, you do not need anybody to tell you that it is dark. You do not need proof that the word of God is the word of God by external evidence. The external evidence may affirm the internal evidence of the word. But you see, our faith is, is not based on external evidence. It's based on the very word of God. So that the minute that I say to you that I will prove to you the word of God is authoritative by using external evidence, what have I done? I've elevated a standard of evidence that ends up to be above the authority of the word of God. So when you go to prove something about the word of God to someone, you have to appeal to an authority that is higher, an authority that has more precedent. That is not to say that external evidence is not important. But external evidence can help confirm the intrinsic witness of the word of God. What you're saying, brethren, is that we, are not, we do not base our faith on archaeology, on prophecies that were fulfilled, on history. Even though those things can do a very fine work of improving the reliability of the Bible. You do not base your faith on the word of God because science or research says so. What science and research affirms is what is already true. So when you talk about evidence that is outside the scripture, you're subjecting the authority of God's word to that authority. So if I ask you to explain to me the doctrine of creation, Where will you start? Will you start by telling me about Darwin and how he came up with the evolution? Will you start talking to me about the Big Bang Theory? You see, you start from the Bible. You start from Genesis 1. 
in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and where will you end you end in the Bible you see you articulate the doctrine of creation from scripture so the beginning and the end of all doctrine is from scripture our experience does not validate scripture the scripture validates your experience your faith rests in God because of something God has done in you first when we are self-authenticating the word of God the Bible itself validates itself we do not need to prove anything we have the internal attesting who is the Holy Spirit so that we cannot argue someone into believing the Bible as the authoritative word of God the non-believer cannot see it does not want to see it you see there are no neutral facts even for a non-believer if you gave them 50 reasons why the word of God is authoritative you can't expect them to come and accept them it doesn't work that way there's no use of evidence <coughs> we believe that the word of God is authoritative because we have received it through faith it's through faith that we know that it is true it is authoritative it is binding it's a living author binding word of God and I must obey it and so people who will not submit to it because they have not seen enough of evidence proves that may prove that they are indeed not regenerate because the Bible says the natural man does not accept the things of God but for the believer you never need to prove to them that is, this is the authoritative word of God. They know that they should pay attention to it. They should obey it. They should embrace it. Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, the believer may be passively indifferent to the word of God. They may be openly opposed to the word of God. but they do not have the spiritual capacity to know God, to love God, to embrace God. He's by nature a truth suppressor. And to add to that, the devil is also actively blinding the eye of the non-believer so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. The devil is operating, blinding them from seeing the truth, but also blinding them with falsehood. And Paul tells Timothy that in the latter days there'll be people who will teach doctrines of demons. You see, that's demonic blinding taking place. So this afternoon I like us to look at the significance of God's word. If you turn to Tim, uh, Titus chapter two, verse one. The significance of God's authority the life of the church Titus chapter 2 verse 1 to 15 I'll focus on verse 15 
Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is a pastor. Pastor of the island in Crete. Allow me to read verse 1 to 15 for the purpose of context. Titus chapter 2, the Bible says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity and sound teaching that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So <clears throat> this verse 15 is very pivotal. Commentators say that there are 14 imperatives in this book. And in verse 15, four of the 14 imperatives are in this verse. So the word declare there is an imperative. The word exhort, rebuke with all authority. Then at the end it says, let no one disregard you. So everything Paul says before and what he says after finds meaning in this verse. There's a direction, there's an instruction on how Titus, a pastor, is supposed to carry himself. He's telling him, this is how you ought to carry your ministry. And you see there the authoritative message for the ministry of God's word. You see, we as a church have a responsibility and stewardship when it comes to the word of God. Authoritative message for preaching is the life of the church. And so what is the authoritative message for preaching here? It's God's revealed word. The message that has authority 
is the message that is only in the Bible. And that only comes from God. So when he says, declare these things, what does Paul have in mind? It certainly involves everything included in this letter. Titus is to declare everything written to him by Paul. And certainly it will include all apostolic teachings handed down to Titus from the apostles. Every part of God's word he was to declare this way. Paul told Timothy to preach the word of God, to preach the whole counsel of God. It's interesting here that there's a relationship between the grace of God in verse 11 uh, and how that grace translates to holy living. He tells Titus, I want you to declare that God's grace, as he says there, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He's telling him, I want you to declare God's grace as a gift, as a free gift to mankind. But I want you to declare with all authority. And the implication here is that God's grace declared with all authority, it will produce change in the lives of the people. You see, <clears throat> the grace of God changes us. Titus is commanded in verse 1 of chapter 2 that he ought to teach with what accords with sound doctrine. He should not teach what he believes in, he should not teach what pleases men. He should not teach what the society or the culture believes in. He should teach what accords with sound doctrine. He should teach older men, he says verse 2, to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He should teach older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are, they, they are to be, sorry, they are to teach what is good. Those older women are to be taught to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You see, you cannot honor the authority of God's word and live in such a way that it is different from it. And that's why he says here that at the end of verse 5 that the word of God may not be reviled you see we, we ought to be very careful on who handles the Bible whenever we meet because we don't want the word of God to be reviled if, if you're persistent in your sin if you're struggling in your sin, yes, we acknowledge 
and we are gentle with you and we pray for you. But you can imagine if someone who has so many scandals was to stand before you here and to preach to you, surely the word of God is reviled. The word of God is mocked. And there's no authority. He may say the right things, but people will not believe him. And so the word of God doesn't come with authority. So the truth of the gospel is going to be put on display to the watching world through holy living. Because the grace of God has appeared to do what? To sanctify you, to change you. So he's connecting the purpose of Christ's death and our presence in heaven and the implication of Christ to our living today. Because in verse 13, he says we're waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of glory, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the purpose for Christ's death, his presence in heaven, the implication of that to our daily living. Paul tells Titus to preach in such a way that people can see the connection between the gift of God in Jesus Christ, salvation through God's grace, and how they are to live their life as God's people. Preach the word of God. You see, that's a challenging thing to Titus because he's ministering in the island of Crete. And if you read verse 5, Oh, sorry, verse, verse 9 of chapter 1. To go back to chapter 1 of verse 9. He's giving the qualifications of an elder. And in verse 9 he says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then verse 10, he says... <coughs> For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced because, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And then he talks about the Cretans. He says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. This is a challenging environment because Paul writes to him and he says that there are people who are insubordinate. Means, meaning, there are people who are rebellious. They, they are not submissive to authority. And so it's an authority issue. But they shall, they are supposed to be harshly rebuked so that they may be sound in their faith so <clears throat> who has the right to rebuke it's given to all of us as Christians who has the right to tell you that you are wrong who has the right to tell you to change your behavior all of us are given that responsibility but ultimately it's the, it's the word of God if you read the scripture every day you find that 
God is changing you. God is rebuking you. There are things that he makes clear to you. The word of God points out these things. And so we ought to be submissive to the authority of God's word. And the church must insist on it. Verse 16 of chapter 1 says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is what Titus has to deal with. He's living in a place where people proclaim God with their mouth, but deny God in their lives. You see, there's a gap here between what they proclaim, who they say they are, and how they live their lives. You see, salvation is going should go hand in hand with pursuit for holy living. Titus is to take action so that there is no such divorce in the lives of the people between what they say they are and what kind of life they live. And see, brethren, the word of God is the only message that has authority. Philosophers may have their opinions, but they do not have authority. It's only the word of God that has authority. And the work of the church is to read the word of God, hear the word of God, preach the word of God, apply the word of God, practice the word of God. Titus is to declare the word of God. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Declare these things. This is a commitment that expresses conviction. You're convinced of a firm conviction regarding the nature of scripture. Do you believe what you hold in your hands is the word of God? Do you believe it's the inherent God-breathed infallible word of God? To the smallest letter, to a stroke, do you believe that? Because you will preach, you will live, you will believe if you really trust that what you have is the word of God. <coughs> Another thing has to do with stewardship. Because we will give an account for what we have done with this book. Whether we've been faithful in reading and proclaiming it as Timothy tells uh, sorry as Paul tells Timothy that I charge you in the presence of God he's saying God is my witness and I charge you to do what preach the word and so the Bible is not a book to entertain people it should be read it should be heard it should be applied it should be practiced in the life of the people and it has authority because it is the word of God. And then lastly, <clears throat> notice the manner of the word of God, manner in which the word of God should be declared. I've already spoken to it about it, but it's, it's, it should be declared with all authority. It should be declared in a particular way, in a way that says that this is God's word. And so this is not a delivery of information. The manner in which the message is proclaimed must go 
by the manner in which the message was given. So when the author of the message tells one to proclaim the message, they should preach with authority. And God has ordained preaching as a means of conveying his word. God has chosen men as agents to proclaim the gospel. So what Titus needed to do is to remove all these stumbling blocks as we see in chapter 1 from his life and to declare with all authority and for that to happen whatever he says should match his life obviously we recognize that nobody is perfect we'll have our own weaknesses but there should be transformation there should be change there should be sanctification then he says at the end let no one disregard you so to disregard is here is to think around he's saying you must not allow people to think around you you must you must not allow people to go around what you teach and preach the manner in which we proclaim the truth should imply to you that these things are non-negotiable preaching is not voicing of one's opinion but as we preach people should understand that the mandate comes from God. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from us. The mandate comes from God. And it should be insisted upon. And so it says, exhort and rebuke with all authority. To exhort and to rebuke. To exhort is to encourage the people. But as you're encouraging the people, what else should you do? He says you should correct, you should rebuke. You not only encourage but you also correct people with all authority. Rebuke them sharply, as chapter 1 says, so that they may be sound in their faith. So when someone strays away from the truth, we call them back in the way, into the way of truth. By rebuking them, by correcting them, but also encouraging them. And so God has designed you to be shepherded by his word and that is why the scripture is authoritative if you don't believe that the word of God is authoritative you should not preach it because how, how can you preach something that you don't, don't believe it is authoritative and one of the marks that characterizes the New Testament preaching is boldness so when the word of God is proclaimed when you hear the preaching of the word of God the church ought to submit to it because brethren there is no authority outside the word of God it's only, it's only the only authority in your life let's close with a word of prayer Father we thank you for your word this afternoon we pray that indeed you may help us to submit to all that is required of us. Pray that you may cause us to repent of our sins, to realize the areas that are not right in our lives, to put away every stumbling block that may revile your name. We pray, Father, that indeed Christ may be magnified in our lives. Do forgive us for the times we have not held your word 
in high esteem. At times we've disregarded your authority in our lives. We pray that Christ, we pray that you may subdue us by your grace. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.